Hey there, and welcome back to Holistic Health Masterclass Podcast. This is Brett, and we're back with another episode. Um, I am super psyched about this episode because it's very different from what we normally do. Um, I also just really enjoyed uh, talking to Dr. Al Dannenberg about his unconventional um, cancer journey and um, his approach in uh, healing himself and how he's really supported himself over the years. And uh, I think as you listen to the story, um, you know, I, you would agree with me that this is really a remarkable journey. Um, there's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows. And I'm sure if you have yourself gone through cancer or perhaps a loved one has gone through cancer, you know, that's um, one of the hallmarks is, is just the ups and downs, the emotional side of things as much as the physical side of things. And, um, you know, my hope with the, with today's podcast is really to give you some hope and to inspire you and to just get you to think about things a little bit differently and to know that there are other options out there um, that maybe you haven't thought of and um, options that might run a little bit counter to uh, what we see out there in the space. So um, Dr. Al Dannenberg, is, uh, he's, he's a dentist, he's a periodontist, so that, that's his background, um, but he's also trained in functional medicine, and that's actually how we met, was through one of the um, FM forums. And um, basically, he I, I don't want to spoil the whole story here, um, but he had a stroke at the age of 59. And um, basically, you know, out of the blue was completely shocking and, um, you know, was then put on a cocktail of, of drugs, essentially, and, and wishy-washy trial and error approaches for about 10 years. And, um, you know, after all of that, like lost 30 pounds, started doing really good, uh, got off all of the meds, and then in 2018 was diagnosed with cancer. And um, so this podcast really dives into all of that. And uh, some of the things that we cover here, uh, we talk about um, the high rates of uh, certain types of cancers with dentists and why that might happen. Uh, we talk about a holistic view of cancer. Uh, we talk about paleo, uh, carnivore diets, uh, ketosis, and how that all ties in here. Uh, we talk about modern medicine and an alternative approach. And is there a time and place to combine those things? And how would we do that? We talk about his mental journey and his journey from becoming victim to survivor to ultimately thriving. Um, we, I wouldn't say debunk some myths, but we talk a little bit about the whole acid alkaline side of things. Because, you know, for those of you who are, um, you know, at least in the practitioner space, um, you might, uh, you know, we kind of gravitate more towards that whole, you know, get your body alkaline. We've got to eat more fruits and vegetables. We've got to start juicing. We've got to go down that road. And I think, um, you know, Al and I talk about that in a completely different light here. Uh, we talk about things like carbs. We talk about metabolic flexibility, um, what feeds cancer cells. Uh, we talk a fair bit, well, not a fair bit, but we talk about oxalates, phytates, lectins in plants. And then um, Al's sort of uh, somewhat controversial theory, if you will, or his views on supplementation and what supplements he actually takes. And um, the last thing that we kind of tack on at the end there is something called PEMF or pulsed electromagnetic field therapy and uh, how that's been a crucial uh, part of Al's journey to recovery. So, all in all, I had a great time. Um, I learned a fair bit on this podcast, and uh, I think that we leave no stone unturned um, in our conversation here. So uh, I hope that you enjoy um, the show today as well. 
And just a reminder that if you haven't picked up your energy bits, uh, spirulina, chlorella, or combination, uh, you can do that by clicking the link in the show notes and get 20% off your order using coupon code MASTERCLASS. Uh, the other uh, product sponsor for the show is C60 Purple Power. If you haven't listened to my episode that I did with Ken Swartz on that, uh, you definitely want to go back a couple of episodes and listen to that. It is amazing. And I think both of those products, the blue-green algaes and the carbon C60, um, are really what I consider core foundational um, products that just are you know, widespread benefits when it comes to health. So uh, thanks for tuning in as always. And if you do like the show, uh, you know, subscribe, leave us a review, share this with your friends, family, and community. And uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Al Dannenberg. Hey, Al, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me on Holistic Health Masterclass podcast. Oh, listen, thank you for the opportunity. It's a pleasure. I'm excited. Me too. And, uh, you know, as I was telling you off air, just going and um, reading more on your blog and listening to a few interviews that you did um, with other people, um, I just find your story is is remarkable and also unique in, in a few different ways. And uh, my goal today is, um, you know, we're going to talk about cancer and things that revolve around that. But I also want to talk about a few other things just related to the work that you've done and your your career and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, when people think of cancer, there's, you know, it's obviously such a big, scary word. And um, I think for a lot of people, they panic. Um, they find themselves in a pretty desperate situation. Um, depression ensues. And I'm, I know we'll, we'll get into that today as well. Um, but my goal today is hopefully that after hearing your story, some people will feel empowered and just to know that there is a different way that there's hope and something can actually be done um, uh, about it, you know. So, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know where we want to start, but, um, you know, perhaps uh, for, for those who might not know you, uh, maybe just give us a little bit of background, like who you are and what, you're, what you've done in your career. And then we'll talk about um, your remarkable story. Uh, following that? Well, you know, it depends on how much time you have. Sometimes I have diarrhea of the mouth, by the way. Um, I will tell you, uh, I'm almost 74 years old. I've been practicing periodontics for 44 years. So periodontics is a specialty of dentistry, which means I became a dentist and then specialized in gum disease. And that's what I practiced for 44 years until my diagnosis um, of cancer, which was in sep September 2018. Hmm. What I had done was basically practice very conventional periodontics, like almost anybody and everybody understands. You know, you go to the dentist, they tell you you have gum bleeding or bone loss around the teeth. They send you to maybe a specialist like me. And I talk about what's going on and I treat it conventionally with changing the way you clean your mouth, um, talking about what's causing the disease under the gum, cleaning deeply under the gum, doing different types of bone surgery to, the pair, to repair the damage, and that's it. And that's what conventional periodontics basically is all about. And there are other factors, but for the most part, that's what it's all about. And that's how I practiced for quite a bit of time. Uh, eventually, I learned a newer, much more patient-friendly procedure to treat gum disease, which included a specific type of wavelength of laser, which actually could regenerate bone. It really turned my practice around. 
But that still was relatively conventional. And then all of a sudden, I have a heart attack, uh, or, or basically a stroke, at the age of 59 years old. Hmm. And that stroke um, caused me to understand and learn about an eating style that was unique to me, to, to, to my understanding, that changed my life. So at the age of 59, I have a stroke. My doctors treated me un, uh, conventionally. They gave me seven prescription drugs to take for the rest of my life. I wasn't comfortable with that. I learned by the age of 66, that took a long time to learn, <laughs> a concept called a paleo lifestyle and a paleo diet. And I started to incorporate that in the way I lived, again, at the age of 66, and it changed my life. I got off of all seven medications that I had been on since the age of 59. I lost over 30 pounds, not because I was trying to lose weight, just when you balance your hormones, you know, your body loses the excess fat. And because of that, I felt that this way of living was very relevant to the way I was treating periodontics. If I could treat gum disease and incorporate these concepts of eating healthier and living healthier, I would probably get a better result. And I did. And the patients that agreed with my thoughts and protocols did phenomenally well. And that was the, like I said, the age of 66. So fast forward, I, I'm now off of medications. I've lost over 30 pounds. I started doing seminars around the country. I wrote a book. Um, I was doing virtual consultations all over the world. And I was asked to speak at the Paleo FX meeting in uh, August of, no, uh, April of 2018. So April of 2018, I'm thinking I am the senior poster boy for health. <laughs> and so I am traveling from Charleston, South Carolina to Austin, Texas, to give this little talk at Paleo FX. And I need to um, commute through a large airport, Atlanta Airport, where there are many con concourses and you can either take a train or walk from one to the other. I usually s schedule my um, air flights so that I have plenty of time to walk. And I take my uh, luggage, my shoulder bag, and I just walk with it. So I was walking from one concourse to another to get my connecting flight. And I noticed that I had a soreness in my right shoulder, not something I really experienced before. And I thought I must be tearing my rotator cuff or a ligament or something. I go to the meeting, I speak, I come back to Charleston, and this pain in the right shoulder just doesn't seem to go away. Then it seems to move to my back. And then it seems to move to my chest. And I'm starting to take deep breaths with a, a certain degree of pain. And I'm a little bit hard-headed. And it took from that point until about August of 2018 for me to go to my physician, who I had seen for many, many years. And he saw me when I had a, uh, a stroke. So basically, he's the guy I saw and I told him what was going on. And he ordered a few blood tests as well as a C-reactive protein. So the blood chemistries and the white blood count um, all came back normal. Hmm. But the C-reactive protein showed significant systemic inflammation. It didn't say where it was coming from. It didn't say it was acute or chronic. It was a concern because I never had that kind of a level of a C-reactive protein. 
So my doc says, let's do an MRI. We get an MRI. He calls me a few days after that comes back. And he says, do you want to come into the office or do you want to talk on the phone? And I said, Bobby, what's the big deal? Just uh, tell me what's going on. I probably tore something. Um, he jokes around at first. He says, did you fall down some steps? Did somebody beat you up? And um, then he gets very serious and he says, I see a vertebral compression fracture, several broken ribs, a hairline fracture in your pelvis, and a soft tissue mass about two centimeters big on the side of your spine. And then he tells me, I think you have lymphoma, leukemia, or multiple myeloma. Oh my God, these are three mm -hmm. cancers. Mm -hmm. I am the senior poster boy for a healthy lifestyle. I'm thinking, I feel great, except I have this pain in my chest and it went from my arm to the back to my chest. What is he talking about? And then he gets an oncologist and we start to look around. So, so do you feel, I mean, you know, just to backtrack a little bit um, and for those who, you know, you didn't mention it, but I will also, also just let people know that you are uh, trained in functional medicine as well, as well as a few other um, areas. And I think we'll come back to the gut health and dentist and um, the oral microbiome. Cause I, sure, I definitely sure. want to pick your brain about that a little bit, sure. but um, you know, so coming back to things, you know, so you change your diet, um, you, you go on this paleo diet, um, paleo lifestyle, et cetera and everything changes around. Do you think that, or did they mention anything? Like, do you think that you had cancer at that time? Great like, question. Like beforehand or, you know what I mean? Cause I think the timelines yeah. are yeah. interesting. And I think it's, it's, um, you know, also the question then begs, you know, was, was it the paleo lifestyle or, you know, cause I'm yeah. sure some vegans listening to this would probably jump to <laughs> oh, that. Of course. You know? Yeah. So let me, let me, let me just give you a, a brief summary of my attitude. I am geeky. So I need answers. So what I did after I was diagnosed, I started to do all kinds of research. And we'll talk about my unconventional cancer protocol and mm -hmm. everything else that was discovered at my, uh, with my oncologist. But I needed to figure out how this could happen. Some people did respond to me and say, obviously, you're not so healthy. Obviously, what you're doing isn't healthy. You need to get off uh, the internet and tell everybody these are healthy things to do. <laughs> well, in reality, there was a study that was done. I can't remember the author, but I think it was published around 2010. And this author looked at the prevalence of cancer, specifically multiple myeloma, in dentists my age group compared to the male population. Very interesting wow. because my age group, 65 to 75 at the moment, um, when he did the research, showed that those male dentists had a significantly higher prevalence of cancer, especially multiple myeloma, compared to the same age group of men throughout the country. That was amazing. It didn't talk about why that was mm. uh, observational, but it made that observation. So I'm thinking, what happened in my years of dental school? So it was four years of dental, dental school, two years of graduate school. What, what was happening to me that was so different than the general male population? And in dental school, there are two things that were prevalent that were extremely toxic. Number one, 
I was exposed to low-dose ionizing radiation constantly. Low-dose mm-hmm. ionizing ra- radiation has been shown to cause plasma cells, which is the cancer I have, plasma cells to become malignant. And low-dose ionizing radiation are dental x-rays. And the clinic that I was working in in my dental training was set up in such a way that there were four dental students that shared one x-ray machine and there were 120 students in the class. So there were many, many dental x-ray machines could have been going on and off all the time. You know, you don't smell it or see it. You just see a little red light that goes on. And when I'm walking around the clinic, it's very likely that I was exposed for the four years of dental school, two years of graduate school. It's a long time. We didn't have badges or if we did, I, I don't remember wearing badges at those in those days that that would indicate an an overexposure to radiation. So I think that's one possibility. The other possibility is that in dental school, we learned to put fillings in teeth, specifically mercury fillings called dental amalgams. Well, the mercury is bad in its own right, but we played with the free mercury in our hands like kids play with Play-Doh today. We literally put this mercury, this silvery liquidy type of metal in our hands and we rubbed it and we played with it and we threw it on the floor. This is what we did. Every dental student did it. And that vapor mercury certainly is highly toxic and it certainly could have been a factor in my malignancy. It only takes one cell to become malignant. And we have many, many malignant cells every day in our body, but our body knows how to get rid of it. Either the cell that starts to become cancerous kills itself off because of certain pathways that are instituted in in the cell itself, or the immune system sends out certain types of cells and it gobbles up these unhealthy cells and it rids it from the body. But if there is an individual cell that is cancerous and it is not killing itself off, and the immune system, for whatever reason, doesn't gobble it up, it can start to multiply and metastasize and become a true malignancy. And that's what I think happened 44 years prior to me getting diagnosed. And it takes a long time for that to get to the point where it manifests in the disease, because there may have been other factors that kept it under control to the point where it only grew slowly. And it is a cancer of the bone marrow. So it wasn't like a mass that was growing in my body. It was just in my bone marrow. Um, And eventually it overcame me. And that's when I had the symptoms. So the paleo lifestyle had nothing to do with it. If anything, it probably kept me healthier for a longer period of time. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say as well. You probably, um, exactly, you know, you delayed something that was inevitable at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, I guess so, since we're, um, let, let's talk about the story first, and then we'll kind of tack on a few other things um, okay. at the end. So, um, so basically you get diagnosed and um, multiple myeloma, um, you know, th- that's a pretty, that's a pretty deep cancer. Um, it, right. In terms of, I'm, I'm sort of putting my Ayurvedic or Ayurvedic hat on or Chinese medicine hat, you know, when you start getting into the different levels, um, you know, your blood and your bone, those tend to be the, the sort of deeper seated, um, types of cancers and issues in the body. So you get diagnosed with that. And then, um, 
you know, in, in some of the blog articles that you've written about and some of the other interviews I've seen you, you know, I, I just want to like, what did you think at the time, you know, when you first got that, like, just, t- just maybe take us, a, 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 give us a walk through that. So I'm, I'm talking to my physician, my general physician, and he gives me this differential diagnosis of either lymphoma, leukemia, or multiple myeloma. I am shocked. I mean, I'm on the phone. No one is with me at the moment. I am totally devastated. I know that my life is never going to be the way it used to be. Mm. I know now that I am having the pain that I'm having that potentially I will never be able to work as a periodontist again, which I can't. And, and I know that I have preconceived ideas of how I want to accept conventional medicine. And I've always believed that I would never want chemotherapy because it was such an archaic caustic chemical that was put in the blood. And then all of a sudden you're destroying your immune system, which is a critical element that needs to be supported. So devastation and a certain degree of depression sinks in, but I don't know if it's curable or incurable or what the methods to cure it would be. At at that point, right? Yeah. At that point. Yeah. I'm just devastated. It's like a ton of bricks just dropped on my body and, and the floor gave way. And I'm, I'm just sinking into a hole because I know my life is over as I know it. Yeah. If if I I knew it, if I can interject as well, you know, you, you touch on something that I think is just so important for people in the health and wellness space to to kind of recognize is, you know, we always have this for a lot of people anyway. There's this um, there's this big divide, right? So we've got we've got pharma and we've got um, conventional medicine over here, and then we've got you know alternative medicine or natural medicine over here. And I think for a lot of people, when they, they they get a diagnosis like this, the first thing is oftentimes shame, right? So it's like all the stuff that I've been doing, you know, it, it hasn't worked or it didn't work for me. And so there's this whole like question of doubt, you know, because I've had a few friends um, in, in our space that have been diagnosed with cancer, um, you know, and, and they've been doing all the right things. And next thing you know, you get cancer. So I think for a lot of people, there's that side of things. And then, of course, the other thing which you touch on is you know, now, um, do I have to go the pharmaceutical route, right? Because for a lot of people, if you're faced, if you're in that situation, and I've thought about this for myself, you know, I think to myself, what if something really bad happened to me? Would I, you know, and I think if I was speaking to my younger self, I would say, 100%, I'm doing it all natural, like, that's what we're doing, right? Because that's what works. And I've seen other people do it. But I think that a more rational, realistic approach would be, and this requires a swallowing of pride in a sense, where you kind of have to go, well, what is, what's the best option here? And if I have to go the pharmaceutical route, whatever that is, whether it's surgery, whether it's taking um, drugs or chemo or what have you, um, I think I just, I want to throw that out there to people that it's important that you make that choice and don't be governed or dictated to by your, uh, your environment in that sense. You know, you're absolutely correct. When I had the diagnosis and then I'm getting scheduled with an oncologist who I don't know yet, um, my thoughts are exactly what you're thinking and saying. My friends thought 
you're going to get chemotherapy and you're going to get treated for cancer. My, my immediate family was somewhat on the fence, mm -hmm. um, knowing what my original intentions were as far as chemotherapy. But still, I didn't know the diagnosis yet. I didn't know what kind of cancer I had or if it was a curable cancer or not. So I wasn't thinking that far in advance other than I'm devastated. Yeah. So I go to my oncologist, this new oncologist, who's a phenomenal guy who I see today. And my wife is there. My two adult children are there. He shows me that they do a bunch of other tests before I go to that appointment. And, and all these tests are in his computer and he's showing me everything that he sees and understands. And he summarizes with the, the diagnosis as far as the name of the disease. I have IgA kappa light chain multiple myeloma. Now, multiple myeloma is a relatively rare cancer compared to all the other cancers out there. But it's, you know, it's obviously there. In addition to this named cancer, one of the ways that multiple myeloma is um, described at is how many lesions, bone holes do you have? Because multiple myeloma also destroys the bone tissue, your skeleton, like becomes what would look like a, 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 a person with severe osteoporosis, the hmm. bone dissolves. So I um, also get the diagnosis with, with the diagnosis, another uh, statement, and that is with innumerable lytic lesions, meaning that I don't have one, two, five, 10 lytic lesions as it's described. The, the radiologist couldn't count them because there were so many holes in my bone. Wow. And the reason I had the pain was because I had pathological fractures, but my skeleton was crumbling. I could bump it and it would break. You could bump your body and maybe you'd get a bruise depending on how hard you bumped it. If I bumped my body, I would have a broken bone. And that's what happened to me. And a lot of times patients that are eventually diagnosed with multiple myeloma, that's the original symptom that they have before they go to the doctor. They have pain in their chest, turns out to be a broken rib. So this actually um, was somewhat devastating to hear the idea that I was so fragile. And then he tells me, and this disease is not curable. Wow. Now, I can't imagine. I just like, I can't imagine, you know? Right. That I did not know. I had not researched anything about this yet. And I did not know that that was going to be the diagnosis. And the prognosis was three to six months to live. Now, I did think that my paleo lifestyle caused it or anything yet. I did that research that I just mentioned to you after this appointment with my oncologist. But what I did know, and this is very, very um, important to understand, I did know that I did not care about how long I lived. I only cared about, if I'm talking about myself right now, my quality of life. Hmm. At that point, I had difficulty breathing deeply because of the fractures in my ribs because of the multiple myeloma, but I didn't have really other pain 
And I felt like I had a great quality of life at that point. So if I could maintain that quality of life and then drop dead, I would be okay. So when he tells me I have three to six months to live, it's basically if you do nothing. And I would never do nothing. But then immediately he says, and tomorrow we'll schedule you for chemotherapy. And he talks about this cocktail of chemotherapy and radiation treatment to take care of the pain. Well, I accept the concept of radiation treatment because I'm a wuss and deeply when I'm trying to breathe deeply and it hurts, that's not a quality of life. So I'm, I'm accepting the radiation to at least stop the pain. But the chemotherapy is the big question. And I'm asking my oncologist, George, I ask him, well, if this disease is incurable, why am I going to go on to chemotherapy? And he says, well, chemotherapy is going to put you in remission, meaning that all these signs and symptoms will go away and you'll feel fine. And I said, well, then if I go into remission, I feel fine. Why is it incurable? And he tells me, well, it doesn't last and the remission will go away and the disease will come back and it'll be more aggressive. And when it comes back, we'll need different types of chemotherapy because the previous chemotherapy would not work any longer. We would need a more caustic wow. cocktail. And I said, then again, I'm very geeky. I need to know these things. And I'm asking him, so what happens then? And he says, well, eventually chemotherapy will not work. And then I ask him. So, 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 so essentially, you know, you're basically being told that you're going to put on chemo, be put on chemo for the rest of your life. On and off. Yeah. So I'll yeah, be yeah. fine. And then I won't be fine. I'll be fine. And then I won't be fine. But it will, as he said, I'm asking him, well, what's going to happen to my quality of life? He said, it's going to go downhill. And then I said, well, if chemotherapy eventually doesn't work, how am I going to die? This is a question that I need to know. And he tells me that generally patients with multiple myeloma die from three complications. One is that you develop an infection. And since this disease is a disease of plasma cells, which makes the antibodies in your body and the immune system, then you probably will have an infection that we just can't get under control and you'll die from that. Or because this disease is a disease of the plasma cells, it crowds out all the healthy red blood cells. Eventually you'll become extremely anemic and you could die from internal bleeding. And then the third reason would be kidney failure. These are terrible, but this is the way multiple myeloma patients eventually die. It's a fact. So I'm thinking, look, Chemotherapy is only going to give me extra years, but it's going to literally decrease the quality of my life. And all along, chemotherapy is going to destroy the only thing a human body has to stay healthy, and that's the immune system. It is the immune system. The only reason COVID is a problem is because of a compromised immune system. So I'm thinking, and my wife is there and she's agreeing with me, I can't accept chemotherapy, so I reject chemotherapy. And I'm telling George, look, yes to radiation, no to chemotherapy. 
I need to do some independent research very quickly to figure out what I can do to support my immune system and maybe help heal my body, maintain a quality of life without slowly breaking down over time. And he's in agreement with that because my disease is incurable and he knows that. So I start to do some investigation. And if you want, I can get into my unconventional cancer protocols if you'd like and, or, or the progress. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously we'll, we'll wrap things up with the progress because you're doing great uh, these days. You know, obviously I keep up to speed with your posts and, and whatnot. I literally had, I went way down a dark path before I am where I am. So this diagnosis is given to me in September 2019 with the prognosis, I mean, 2018 with the prognosis of three to six months to live. I create a variety of unconventional cancer protocols that I tweak consistently and continuously. We'll go over that in a moment. And so I'm doing well from September 2018 until August of 2019. Now, when I say I'm doing well, I'm not in remission. It's not getting worse, but it's not getting better. And the radiation to care of the pain in my chest, and I'm fine. I know my body is fragile. I know I can break bones. And between 2018, 2019, I broke a couple more bones. You know, it's, it's a scary scenario. That's what I had to live with. But here's what happened in August of 2019. I'm standing in my bathroom, brushing and flossing my teeth. I'm standing on my feet, obviously. And I go to throw my dental floss away. So the trash can is to my left. I twist maybe 90 degrees with my feet still on the floor to the left. As I twist, my right femur snaps in half. Wow. I crash to the floor because all of a sudden there's no leg there. I crash to the floor. I break two more ribs and I break my right humerus in half. Now, of course, I don't know what really happened at that point. I just know I collapse um, and I go down very hard. I know something's not right because when I'm looking at my right arm and my right leg, they're in angles that I could never bend them. So I know they're broken in half. I'm in amazingly horrendous pain. I'm screaming for my wife who's in the other room. And I'm starting to think this is over. Now it's been a year since I've been diagnosed. I've lived more than my prognosis would have indicated. And I know from other people that just break their hip, all of a sudden they start going downhill and they die. Well, I broke a whole lot more. My whole right side of my body, my big bones are now crushed. And I can't believe I could survive with any quality of life from that point on. And I'm ready to die. And I want to die. I really want to die. Eventually, my wife comes in. She's screaming and yelling and crying out all the emotions that you could imagine. She calls EMS, emergency services. They finally get me into a gurney, get me to the hospital. And because my right femur is literally snapped in half and the way the bone is cracked, it's ready to perforate the femoral artery. They have to fix my right leg or I'll bleed to death. They don't fix my right arm. They don't do anything for ribs. Nobody fixes ribs, actually. Mm -hmm. And I pretty much reject anything else that they're doing because I have come to grips that I'm going to die. They put me in a hospice hospital to die. 
And in September, beginning of September, I'm in a hospice hospital. I am catheterized. I am heavily drugged, not only with narcotics, which is amazingly terrible, but all kinds of other drugs. I'm constipated. I have to use a bedpan. I'm laying in a bed. I can't move. And I'm ready to die. Interestingly, life has some crazy things that go on. Interestingly, there is a hurricane that is threatening Charleston this first week of September of 2019. It's called Hurricane Dorian. It's literally moving at one mile an hour, but it has 187 mile an hour winds and it is projected to hit right near the hospice hospital. The hospice hospital is ordered to evacuate every patient. They don't have any idea where to evacuate me. My wife, who's a nurse, arranges to get a hospital bed in the house and they transport me from the hospice hospital to my home. I'm still in hospice, but I'm at my, my home. I'm still catheterized, all kinds of drugs, and I'm in this bed. The hurricane comes through. The power goes out for 12 hours. By the way, hospital beds are electric. The electricity goes out. I can't move, and the bed can't move. It, it's pretty miserable. So the power comes back on, and, and my wife, who is a very strong woman, um, gives me basically some tough love. And she says, look, you are a survivor, not a victim. You've done extremely well until this fall or this, these breaks. And you know that the unconventional cancer protocols you were working with did well. Let's mm -hmm. get you back on those protocols. Let me get a physical therapist in the house and let's see what we can do. So in a more rational way, I'm agreeing with her and a physical therapist comes in and within a couple of weeks, just a couple of weeks, he starts to help me get sit up in bed, get on my feet with a, a walker. Um, the catheter eventually comes out, which is terrible. I had a catheter for 30 days. Oh my God. Wow. Um, oh my God. If you've never had a catheter, I don't wish it on anybody. Um, the drugs take a longer time to, to withdraw from, but that's a very difficult situation with the narcotics and the constipation because of the narcotics is very, very difficult to deal with. But eventually I start to do very well and I'm actually rallying and I revoke hospice. And the following month, October of 2019, I'm able to get in a car and go to see my oncologist who sees me and is shocked that I'm alive. That's wow. what I died. Yeah. Yeah. And so he not only is impressed, but he mentions an immunotherapy drug that was recently approved by the FDA that is not chemotherapy, but it actually is the monoclonal antibody that is very specific for the malignant plasma cells and it enhances my actual immune system. I incorporate that with my other unconventional cancer protocols and move forward. So fast forward from then to May 8th of 2020, my oncologist wants me to have a new PET scan. Well, PET scan is a big x-ray, head to tail, uh, head to tail, head to toe to, <laughs> no tail, head to toe. And it shows, because you get a injection of radioactive glucose, it shows where all these malignant cells are. Well, I've had 
that in the beginning and I had that in 2019 and now it's 2020, I have a new PET scan. Both of the previous ones showed all kinds of cancer everywhere in my body. This showed no active cancer cells in my entire body. Wow. Now a PET scan, unfortunately, isn't the final answer because it only sees moderate amounts to severe amounts of cancer, not everything. So I am not in remission. I am not cured of cancer. I have no cure for cancer, but I am doing amazingly well and thriving. And I feel That's- fantastic. And that's awesome. You know, it's so, so good to hear that. And, um, you know, obviously we wish that for everyone who, uh, who gets sick in whatever way, shape or form, but, um, let's get into some of the nitty gritty because uh, I think, um, the, the biggest, not necessarily a shock for me, but I think it might be a shock for a lot of people is the fact that you, uh, went down the carnivore, um, route, right? So you kind of took paleo and just notched it up, uh, 10 X, um, to, yes. to get you onto the carnivore. So what, what, what was it that, um, you know, in your research or why, what made you decide to go down that route versus, you know, your, the, the classic holistic or alternative, um, you know, methods for cancer are usually lots of juicing, um, you know, more of a plant-based diet, like get your body super alkaline, um, you know, 13 glasses of carrot juice a day, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of went the complete opposite direction. So maybe uh, share a little bit, a little bit about, about that. There is an interesting paper that Chris, Chris Kresser wrote and he updated it maybe 2020 about the myth of an alkaline diet. And I would encourage any viewer that is interested in the alkaline acid type um, uh, situation, uh, read his article. It's, it's quite enlightening and he cites many, many peer reviewed medical articles to support the fact that an alkaline diet is not only unnecessary, it's not helpful. So number one, number two, I knew that paleo was a good way to eat. I certainly rejected the concept of a vegan diet much earlier for many, many reasons, Mm -hmm. but I did not get into a carnivore diet until January 1st, 2020, because I didn't know about it. So what I was doing, and I'm constantly researching and creating this, these cancer protocols. One of the elements of the protocol is my diet. And I went from a paleo diet to a paleo autoimmune diet when I was actually diagnosed. So I withheld all types of nightshades, for example, in my diet. That's part of the autoimmune um, concept with the paleo diet. But I was still eating um, fruits and and vegetables and nuts and seeds that were not nightshades and, and certainly animal products. But I did some research and found a clinic in Budapest, Hungary. Budapest, Hungary is not the, the center for medical um, help, I, I believe, but I found this clinic and the Paleomedicina Clinic had been in existence for about 10 years. The physicians that run the clinic have treated over 5,000 patients and they treat their patients Uh, Well, the majority of their patients have severe chronic disease and or cancers, and they treat their patients with a strict animal-based diet, which they call the paleolithic ketogenic diet. Hmm. It's nose to tail. It is a high fat, 
moderate protein, very low carbohydrate diet. And the medical papers that support that diet are amazing. And so I was reading not only the medical research that supports that diet for what I have, and that's cancer, but also I was reading some of the actual case reports, individual case reports that they publish in a variety of medical journals in English that were amazing to me and very compelling, very compelling evidence. And I'm thinking, look, I don't know how long I have to live. I can't wait for somebody 10 years from now to tell me, well, this is the way to go. I need to do my research. My research is suggesting this carnivore type of diet is probably extremely beneficial. And all the plants that are supposedly so healthy with phytonutrients also have some very toxic irritants that are fighting with all these phytonutrients. So the phytonutrients are important, but the toxic elements are terrible. But in, interestingly enough, the animals that are eating plants, um, like cattle and sheep, for example, mm -hmm. they're eating plants. They have a digestive system that is designed to remove these toxic elements called anti-nutrients. But all these other nutrients in the plants are absorbed in their muscle meat, in their bones, in their fat, and in their organs, and they're biologically available with no irritants to humans, which is amazing. So after I was researching all of this, I knew that I had to incorporate that in my protocols, which I did. So a um, couple things on that. Um, I'm assuming when you talk about these toxic elements, you're, you're talking about things like phytates. Um, sure, phytates, le lectins, lectins, and oxalates. oxalates. Those okay. are the three big ones that are a problem. Yeah. So that and would be... No, sorry, go ahead. That would be all nuts and seeds, for the most part, have very high anti-nutrients. Most vegetables have high anti-nutrients. And most fruits do not. Now, the problem with fruits is that they have a lot of sugar. And of course, sugar is not the ideal way for a cancer patient to um, eat. Yeah. So if you wanted to have some plants, I mean, some vegetables, sorry, uh, the fruits, then you would definitely need to limit those so that your carbohydrate consumption on a daily basis is less than 20 grams or so. So you can stay in basically what's called ketosis. We can mm -hmm. talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about that because you know, um, obviously the 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 sort of toxic elements and anti nutrients. I know there's a lot of people, and I want to be quite clear here as well. You know, um, as someone, you know, you have a, a long history in practice. So do I. You know, I'm coming up on almost 20 years in clinic now, and um, I want to be quite clear for those people who are listening or maybe not as well versed with some of the stuff that not everyone, you know, oxalates are not necessarily toxic or problematic for every person, right? Same thing. The phytates are a little different because they do inhibit nutrient absorption. Um, so, you know, particularly your minerals. So your zinc uh, is a big one, um, your iron and so forth. But the the oxalates and the lectins, you know, I know Dr. Gundry, he's, he's big on the whole anti-lectin diet. And there's a lot of people that go on a low oxalate diet or go on a low lectin diet and they have radical transformations. And then there's other people that try it and it makes no difference whatsoever. So I think that I want you to just view what we're talking about here through the lens of your particular cancer journey. 
Um, I would also encourage you, if you do have problems with chronic inflammation, with pain, um, if you do have autoimmune issues and so forth, uh, you might want to look at going on a lectin-free or an oxalate-free uh, diet for a while just to see if that helps, right? Because a lot of these compounds, you know, oxalates particularly, they can settle in the joints, they can settle in the eyes, in, in all the organs of the body, and they can cause irritation, whereas the lectins themselves will actually bind to certain body tissues, and they're going to cause a lot of localized inflammation, again, wherever that is. So I just want to be quite clear on what we're talking about here. But coming back to the keto side of things, Right. And, you know, you kind of alluded to that in your conversation. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people in the space, when we think of cancer, you know, we know that sugar feeds cancer cells. I think pretty much everyone agrees on that. But there's still this concept. And I think it's it's sort of been pushed open for debate now. We always thought for the longest time that um, meat, you know, so so meat caused cancer, right? Meat fed cancer cells. And I think that what we're learning now, I mean, if you look at, uh, I think Otto Wahlberg was his name, you know, cancer is fermentation, basically, and, and you need carbohydrates to ferment. So it makes sense going on a low or no carb diet, you're basically just shutting down the whole fermentation pathway and, you know, forcing your body to burn fats as, as the primary fuel source. Um, True. Now, cancer cells also feed on glutamine. So um, they're not only fermenting carbohydrate, they're fermenting the amino acid glutamine. But glutamine is such a critical element in your immune system and so many other pathways. So you're not going to cut out glutamine unless you um, did it in extremely clinically oriented uh, environment. But can, can, can we talk about that just for one minute before you get into the next? Do you feel that glutamine, because a lot of people out there are taking glutamine supplements just on the regular, you know, because there we know that glutamine helps rebuild the intestinal lining, very good for leaky gut, etc. So I think there's a lot of people that are afraid of getting leaky gut that are just taking a thousand to five thousand milligrams of glutamine every day. Do you feel like that could be driving cancer in a negative way? I believe supplements will drive cancer in a negative way, period. And let me tell you why. Hmm. When I started, um when I started my research for unconventional cancer protocols, I got in touch with an integrative physician who had a good reputation and I didn't know, but I had a lot of respect for his reputation. And we discussed my condition and he said, okay, this is what you need. Now I never discussed my diet really because he didn't know much about it and really didn't understand the gut microbiome, but I respected him because he had this reputation and he put me on approximately 70 supplements a wow. day. Wow, wow. Now, let's talk about supplements. If you have a problem with a low this, that, or the other, there needs to be a reason why that is the case. You're not deficient in magnesium supplement you're deficient in the mineral magnesium where it comes from naturally. You're not getting it in a natural source or you're not absorbing it properly. Maybe that's where you should start, not open up a bottle with that says magnesium X milligrams. Um, if you were to do that and you might need it, okay. But now look at the ingredient label in that supplement and you'll see a bunch of chemicals 
in the inert ingredients, you'll see chemicals. You'll also see um, a variety of uh, preservatives, um, emulsifiers, something to solidify it if it's on in, in a, a, cap, um, um, a tablet form. You're going to see a lot of stuff which actually has been shown to be damaging to the gut microbiome in one supplement capsule or tablet. Now multiply that by 70. So I'm taking mm -hmm. these theoretically beneficial supplements with all of these inert ingredients that no one talks about that are multiplied by 70 to damage my gut microbiome, which is everything. Yeah. In yeah. addition, most of these supplements that he recommended are synthetic. So they're chemicals. They're another chemical. It's, a, it's not a prescription drug because it's, you don't have to go through the, the, the physician to write a prescription yeah. drug, yeah. but it's in the alternative space. But then again, the alternative space is not very well controlled for, for uh, critical elements in, in that supplement itself. So my thinking is to take glutamine to fix your gut microbiome and your gut lining, I think there are better ways naturally to do that. And that's what's part of my protocol. So when you mentioned earlier about phytates, lectins, and oxalates, I, I want to just put a point out there. I believe we have this is controversial, by the way. That's okay. We're I, no strangers. <laughs> I believe we have a DNA blueprint. Now, if you look at um, uh, evolution, our DNA has changed, but slowly. Mm -hmm. And your DNA and my DNA are actually 99.9% .9 the same. What makes you you and me me is 0.1% of DNA. And then the epigenetics that down-regulates or up-regulates the genes themselves. So we're basically the same. And our genetic code, our, our, our way of surviving, our blueprint, basically works on a pendulum. On one extreme, it tells you, you must have water to drink or you're going to die. You must have food to eat or you're going to die. You must have air to breathe or you're going to die. And every human being has no problem doing that. But the other extreme of this pendulum says, because I am your DNA, my genetic material does not know how to produce enzymes or proteins that are going to deactivate certain things that you might consume. I'm going to call these poisons. And if you eat these things that I cannot digest or inactivate because they are harmful, you're eventually going to die. But we eat those things for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and for snacks, and we just gobble them up. And these are the foods that have a lot of stuff and maybe some phytates, oxalates, and lectins. And the interesting thing is everybody reacts to these anti-nutrients in some way. It just may not be clinically manifested. Mm -hmm. So if you have an oxalate that forms crystals that can damage your gut epithelial barrier and you don't manifest disease for 20 years, the oxalates are still a problem, mm. period. Mm. Mm. It's just that you're not manifesting disease. So why put into your body 
those elements that the human species, our DNA blueprint cannot deal with. There's so many other things between those extremes that you can eat, but why eat the things that are actually poisons to your body? It may not kill you now, it may not cause a disease now, but in 10 years, it may accumulate to the point where it could be damaging. And that's why I have gone through all this research and I am on a carnivore diet and I don't want to put any irritant in my body that I can avoid. For example, if you're the healthiest guy in the world and, and I mean that by every definition, but you have a splinter that is in your finger, that splinter in your finger is going to create soreness, maybe swelling, pain, redness, inflammation. Your body's immune system is constantly reacting to it and it will never ever heal until you remove the splinter. Okay, you remove the splinter and you're a healthy guy and a few days later, it's starting to heal and it's gone and it's fine. But if you took that splinter and you poked it in the original puncture hole in your finger, it'll open up the wound and it will never heal. Your gut lining is the most reparative tissue in your body. It literally regrows every five days. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. You could be the worst eater with the worst lifestyle today. And tomorrow you eliminated every toxic element you could, and you ate only healthy foods, and you did only healthy things. You could have a new gut lining within a week. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But if you then put a piece of shard in your gut to make a hole in the epithelial lining again, it starts to break down. It never heals completely. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, this is why, you know, I've, I've done, um, I think at this point over 1400 of, of my, um, clients in clinic on a 10 day detoxes. Right. And these are, I mean, literally remove all the irritants, right proteins, et cetera, et cetera. But to your point, you know, such radical transformations in as little as 10 days. And so, you know, when you get into your brain and your nervous system, I mean, these are obviously built to last, right? You know, they kind of turn over every seven years or so, but yeah, the gut is the one that just turns turns over the fastest. So, um, you know, I mean, that is a very controversial statement, I think, um, yes. you know, and that's fine. I, I get all of that um, because I do think that in, in some ways, you know, you said it earlier, there are phytonutrients, there are compounds in those plants or in plants that are beneficial to human beings, right? I think that the, the point that I think both of us are getting at here is we kind of have to um, overstep or get, get through the toxic barrier, right? Get through the oxalate side of things, get through the lectins to be able to actually extract uh, some of those phytonutrients. Now, I mean, I totally understand that in your situation, dealing with a, an advanced cancer, et cetera, I can understand why you went onto the carnival roots. Um, you know, I don't want to get much more into it than that. But okay. do you do you think that that style of eating is the better way for everyone to eat then? I'm not so sure that we need to call it the carnivore diet. What yeah. we need to do is understand that the human digestive system is basically omnivorous. Mm-hmm. We can eat plants and we can eat um, animal products, but we are designed more towards the carnivore diet than a um, 
herbivore diet, which would be a vegan diet. And we have a digestive elements that favor the, the digestion of protein products now so and fat. So mm-hmm. in essence, I'm not saying to be 100% carnivore and no fruits, vegetables, nuts, or seeds. I'm saying that we need to be metabolically flexible. We need to have a digestive system that knows clearly how to digest and mobilize fat cells for fuel. And if we are having carbohydrates, it knows how to switch to carbohydrate metabolism and can completely switch back to fat metabolism. And to do that, a carnivore diet is an excellent way to get to that point because you're eating muscle meat in moderation, but you're eating a lot of organs, a lot of collagenous material, and, and, um, and fat, the saturated fat. And those elements in the right proportion will put you into ketosis. Now, ketosis is a form of digestion where your body's insulin is low because your carbohydrate um, uh, consumption is very low. And therefore, the fat that you're eating, uh, as well as the fat cells, are mobilized to burn fuel. And the liver creates ketones that are extremely efficient in fuel burning. They're also efficient because they can pass the blood-brain barrier, get into the brain, and the brain can literally feed or, or manage its fuel needs from 70% ketones. They still need glucose, but they can get 70% of ketones to do what they have to do. And ketones are very clean burning. They don't produce much mm-hmm. free radicals. They actually reduce free radicals. They enhance mitochondrial production of ATP. They enhance the body's endogenous inner, in the, um, uh, um, uh, the inner production of antioxidants, glutathione and other anti- mm. uh, antioxidants. So that is a very stimulative and beneficial way to, to digest food. If you want to call it a carnivore diet, an animal-based diet, it doesn't really matter. You're just eating a lot of um, food that's going to stimulate fat um, digestion. And you switch out of it. What I do is I'm basically eating a carnivore-ish diet six days a week. And one day a week, I eat 150 or so grams of carbs and they're made up of a variety of honey, which is really excellent, raw honey, and some fruits. And I can throw myself out of ketosis into a, um, um, a metabolic state where I'm burning carbohydrates. And the next day, I go back to that more animal-based diet and not the fruits and honey for the most part. And I know I'm in ketosis. I can check it with a, a ketone meter. So That is what's called metabolic flexibility. And I think that's the way humans should run their lives. And that's the way our our species through evolution have literally survived. Most of us have survived through ketosis. Yeah. And and I think um, a couple of points that I'll tack on to what you're saying, because I I do get it. And, you know, I've done other podcasts about this before, but I think it's important for people to realize that your body is biologically hardwired to burn carbohydrates for fuel and to burn fats for fuel. 
right. you know, we have that as a backup mechanism because a lot of people will sort of say, well, okay, look around us, you know, we've got mostly plants in our diet, right? We, like if you look at the food source, go to the grocery store, you'll find maybe 5% of the grocery store is going to be meat and the other 95% obviously processed foods a lot, but you're going to find that it's a lot of plant-based stuff, grains, legumes, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that for a lot of people, the perception out there is simply to look at things and say, oh, well, look, there's mostly plants, therefore we should be eating mostly plants. But if you go back in time, you know, what would happen if I was a hunter gatherer or in true paleolithic times, there's two things that would happen. One, you might not eat for three or four days at a stretch. So you would be fasting for prolonged periods of time. And what that means is that once you, if you don't have any carbs coming in, which are quick burning, you have to have a backup fuel supply. And the backup fuel supply is going to be burning your own body fat and proteins to some degree as well, although we don't, we don't like to do that. Um, so I just want people to understand that this is actually a biological fail-safe in a sense. And the problem that we have out there, and you know, take a look at, at COVID, you know, who's, who's COVID affecting the most? People that are metabolically unfit. You know, these are people with metabolic syndrome, with diabetes, with high blood pressure, heart disease, et cetera. And um, the problem now that we have in society is that we have a whole bunch of people, the majority of people are very, very um, comfortable, if you will, or their body is, is uh, comfortable processing carbs, right? So they eat lots of carbs, so your body knows how to burn carbs, but it doesn't know how to burn fat, right? And so now what we have is we have this excess carb consumption, low nutrient intake, and that's causing people to put on a lot of weight. So now we have an obesity epidemic. And unfortunately, your body is not able to switch over into fat burning mode. And of course, when you double down and look at this through a cancer lens, you now have a lot of carbohydrates that are essentially fueling these fermentation pathways and driving cancer in your body. So, right. so it makes perfectly good sense that going on a, on a ketogenic diet, um, you know, it makes sense in, in, from, a, from a physiological standpoint. But you were doing some other things as well as part of your cancer protocol, right? So you, you were doing some other like, and I, I took a look at some of the protocols that you had out there, um, some pretty niche supplementation. Um, so maybe you want to just give us some of the highlights on that. So some of the things that I do take, I take desiccated organs, desiccated um, organ complex, desiccated bone marrow, desiccated um, collagen peptides. The reason I do that is that I don't eat those foods every day. So when I'm eating liver, and I do eat plenty of organs, but if I'm not eating liver, let's say, or a organ um, for a meal, I want to take my desiccated organ complex, um, desiccated bone marrow, because I'm not eating bone marrow every day. Um, if I'm eating collagenous foods that day, I don't take the collagen peptides. If I am not, I do take the collagen peptides because the worst thing that a, a carnivore diet may give you an impression of is that you only eat steak three mm. times a day. Yeah. Well, yeah. that would be a very unhealthy diet because muscle meat by itself needs to be complemented. The proteins need to be complemented by the collagen proteins because they actually work in conjunction with one another. You could have much too much methionine and not enough glycine to offset the methionine if you're eating muscle meat and not collagen material. So that is a critical element. So that, those are some of the supplements I take. I don't call them supplements. It's just dried food. Yeah, but that's, food, yeah. yeah. But that, that, I, that I take. I also do some very interesting things 
from a mineral standpoint. I used to drink um, filtered water. And then I was drinking reverse osmosis water that added two or three or four different electrolytes. But that's not a natural process. As a matter of fact, our primal ancestors and even primal societies today drink spring water. They drink the water mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. comes from the rain that goes through the earth and the, and the rocks and it dissolves the minerals and it gets into the aquifers and gets out into the ponds and whatever. And they were, are loaded with minerals and trace mil- minerals and elements. So that's what I want to drink. I drink the ones that are available to me in my grocery store, uh, Evian uh, from France or Fiji from the Fiji Islands or Gerald Steiner from Germany, which is actually the highest in uh, electrolytes that I can find. But I also drink in the morning what's called Soleil. So Himalayan salt, for example, has 84 trace minerals, and, and that's been identified. So Himalayan salt crystals that are not the refined salt in a salt shaker, but literally looks like rocks. Yeah, the big ones, put, yeah. Right, you can put them in some spring water, and after 24 hours, the trace minerals, and there are 84 trace minerals in these rocks, dissolve to create a super saturated liquid. It can't get more concentrated than that. And you can take a teaspoon of that liquid and put in eight ounces of clean spring water and drink it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, not eating or drinking after that for maybe an hour. And it's from the research suggests that it's extremely hydrating and you're getting all these trace minerals in your body that you normally wouldn't get or you would have to take with significant um, synthetic supplements here, there, and everywhere else. So those are the supplements that I definitely do take. Yeah. Now, I do also take what I call um, uh, different elements to support my gut microbiome. There has been significant research that shows the gut microbiome is critical and causal for either health or chronic disease. If you have a good variety of species in your gut, uh, and a, a high level of diversity, meaning many, many species and many, many numbers of individual species, those friendly bacteria will crowd out potentially pathogenic bacteria and all of those bacteria in conjunction with one another create many, many benefits to the human body. So you need, I need to have as high diversity of gut microbes that I can, and it's called alpha diversity. And it can be tested. There is a test from Microbiome Labs called BiomeFX that Mm -hmm. recently was created that is being read by a, a company called Cosmos ID. It's one of the largest international companies that has one of the largest um, databases of human um, microbes, and they can identify the variety of species that you have. And uh, I had that test done last year. Now I'm doing quite well, but my alpha diversity is in the 98th percentile, meaning wow. 98% of people that are healthy have less diversity than me. And the only reason I have it, not because of my cancer, cancer should be killing that diversity. The only reason I have it is I take very exquisite care to make sure my gut microbiome is healthy. And I do that by taking a a couple different brands of spore-based probiotics. These are the probiotics that are bacillus types bacteria that have spores. They have a, a, a capsule surrounding them. They 
yeah. they, they are dormant in, in the earth, in the dirt, and then animals eat them, you eat the animals, um, um, plants um, absorb them, you eat the plants, whatever, you get these spores in your system, they are resistant to stomach acid, they get into your gut and they germinate. And, and studies have shown, double-blind human studies have shown that these spores not only re-germinate themselves, but also support and help your own commensal bacteria to grow in quantity, quality, and numbers. So, so it is extremely beneficial for the gut, and that's what I do. So I yeah. do that for my gut, and I do the diet for my nutrition and the minerals in mineral water as well as the soleil, and I get my nutrition and hydration. Nice. There's another element to my protocols that I think is unique and out of the box a little bit, and that is I use pulse electromagnetic field therapy. And there is some very interesting research about pulse electromagnetic field therapy. It's been in the medical world for at least 15 plus years, and it shows to heal soft tissue, heal bone tissue. It's used with patients that have osteoporosis. But there was an article in an oncology journal um, a couple years ago that basically described PEMF therapy, pulse electromagnetic field therapy, potentially very beneficial for cancer because it helps improve the mitochondria. And cancer is a disease of metabolic dysfunction and mitochondrial dysfunction. And I can take care of my metabolic dysfunction by the ways I've just mentioned. My mitochondrial dysfunction can be taken care of in a variety of ways too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, ketosis helps, um, fasting helps, um, high intensity interval training helps, good sleep helps. There are a lot of things that can help. But also pulse electromagnetic field therapy can enhance the cell membrane and actually enhance the electron transport um, mechanisms that create the ATP. So I use that three times a day. It's a, a mat, almost like a yoga mat that's in my bed and I lay on it and I have a timer and a certain protocol that I use. And I think that I'm supporting um, my individual cells in ATP, which is mitochondria, which is very important. Well, you're you're doing amazingly well. Um, so uh, you know, it's it's the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Um, so, and what it's we're worked. recording this now, um, coming up on middle of March, 2021. So, you know, I think if you look at the timelines on everything that you've done, you've clearly, um, you know, surprised your your doctors and oncologists' uh, expectations, um, most likely your own expectations as well. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So kudos to you, Al. Um, that's a fantastic journey and, and a great story. And, um, you know, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing that with us. Um, it's my pleasure. Any any final words from, from you? Anything that we touched on or didn't touch on, I should say? Well, we could always talk on um, the health of the mouth and the health of the gut and everything that goes on with that, as well as the other organ systems. That might be a totally different um, podcast. But I will say that Look, I've been to the edge of death and have returned, and a lot of people are in a similar situation, maybe not as severe as I am. There are always answers. There are always ways to do things. I recommend not only getting an opinion from one person in a white jacket and listening to that opinion only. I would do some my own investigation. You could research it online. It's totally free. Um, a, a, a resource is called pubmed.gov. It's a, a repository of 
every abstract out there in the world in for medical conditions. You, I'm sure there are millions and millions of articles that are um, uh, archived there. You can do the research, find out what other people are doing in, in situations like you might have. Uh, and a support group. You, you need somebody to kind of support you because every now and then you're going to really be in the, the deep dives of depression, which I've been, and, and someone may need to be there to help you get out yeah. of that. Yeah. Well, uh, fantastic story, very inspirational. And um, I know so many people out there are going to get some some value and benefit out of what you shared with us. Um, obviously, what I'll be doing as well, um, you can check out the show notes. We're going to put up some links to your website, um, some of the protocols and whatever else you want me to share. Uh, so if you're uh, watching this or if you're listening to the podcast, just go to the show notes and uh, all of those resources will be there. And uh, so I'll just say thanks again, Al, for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. And uh, for everyone watching, thanks for tuning in once again to Holistic Health Masterclass and our podcast. And uh, as always, if you do enjoy the show, uh, please uh, subscribe, leave us a review, share this with your friends, your family, your community, and uh, help uh, me to keep bringing more awesome guests like Al onto the show. All right. So thanks so much for tuning in and uh, have a great day wherever you are. Yeah.